Well, we started a series a few weeks ago called Don't Judge. And, uh, you know, this is type of message. You know, you know the Word of God uh, has the directions for life in every area of our existence. Okay? Uh, it's not just one area, not just part of your life. It covers every area that we need to live a successful and healthy life. Like we read in Psalm 112, it just covers every part. When we serve God and do His Word, every part of our life is going to be blessed because He is the creator of life. He knows what to do and not to do. And so all parts of the Word are good. Everybody say, all parts of the Word are good. All All of it. And you know... uh, we endeavor to be led by the Spirit of God and to go before Him and, and um, teach and preach on what He would have us to do as a pastor. That's my primary responsibility is to, to uh, be able to feed the children of God. And that's by His help and His ability. He uses men and women. It's not my knowledge or expertise. There's an anointing to be able to take the Word and to touch on what is going to help for each person. It's the Spirit of God. He's the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. The Bible calls Him the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, um, the good shepherd. And so He's the chief shepherd. The pastor is an under-shepherd and just yielding to Him. So He's pastoring and shepherding His flock. How is he going to do that? He placed gifts in the body of Christ to be able to do that supernaturally. Now, you, I, this happened to me all the time before I was ever a pastor. And, I'm, and you, I've heard people come up to me after services many times, and they'll come up and say, that was exactly for me. You have multiple people do that, the same service. And I would say, I would go to church and be under pastor, and I'd be like, that's exactly like where I was. And they don't know. That's because it's God. And supernatural. It's, it's, it's spiritual equipment. It's not the man or the woman. And when you, you are, you're going to hear from him, it's reverence for him, but you're also, when you put yourself in a position, you're putting yourself in a position, coming to church and being under pastor, see a lot of people don't understand this, where you are going to be shepherded by him. He knows where you're going. He knows where you've been. He knows what you need. And he'll say things to your heart that I didn't say, literally. I may say certain things, but he's filling in the cracks saying, this applies here, this applies here. And he'll bring images to your mind and your heart and teach you beyond what I could possibly do or any pastor could. And that's what's going on. And that always excited me when I went to church. Somebody asked me, do you really, you like going to church? Yeah, I like going to church because every time I'm going up, every time I'm growing. But what I was going to say was, uh, how many of you know, you know, Growing up, maybe, maybe you didn't have this experience, but growing up, there were things that maybe your parents had you eat that you didn't really want to eat. You know, you ate it, but you didn't want to eat it. I know my experience, you know, if, I, if any of my family heard me telling this right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. My, my, my uh, immediate family growing up, my brothers and sisters, my parents. Uh, they could tell you certain things that I stayed at the table <laughs> till 10.30 at night because I did not want to eat it. If you, if you were just to go, if, you, if you, my dad were here and you said, you know, what, what type of stuff did Jim dislike? He wouldn't have to think at all. 
he, he, and I, if I said certain things, you, you, you like it. But I, it doesn't matter, but I'll tell you because you want to know now. <laughs> but there was this beef stew. Beef stew's fine. So many people are like, I can't, I just love it. There was this stew. I could not stand stew. If you were mentioned stew to me right now, I, I would have to, I literally stayed there at the kitchen table. I can see the kitchen table where I grew up right now. Oval oak table with a light over it. And there were no other lights on in the kitchen or in the other room because everybody else was gone. And I'm sitting there with a bowl of stew. Cold stew, yeah, by that time. And sometimes I have chunks of, of onions. Now, I like onions and other things. I don't really like big chunks, but I've grown to like them over the years. But then, man, I did not like them. But I ate them. Eventually. And then there was this goulash that was my dad's uh, mom's recipe. And oh my gosh, that was worse. <laughs> I see it right now and it just, oh, I did not want to eat that. That was worse. I mean, you are, how many of you know what I mean? If you have something you don't like on the plate and you have other things, you're going to be strategic about how you go about trying to eat it. So you leverage the bites of the other stuff to dumb down the taste of the thing you don't like. <laughs> Saltines are helpful in this area. Anything that you can take to get that down so that you can leave the table. Thank God I only had liver and onions like about twice in my life. My dad likes liver. I don't know why. But he didn't make us eat. It's one time we went, make it, make us eat. It's one time we went out to eat. Shelly and I went out and asked them that we were going to go out to eat and telling them, we're going to share some, some news with them. And he ordered Brunschweiger, which is like, liver paste and he didn't tell me what it was and I ate I'm like this is liver what we're out I'm an adult you just spent money what you like and I was like I don't you know where I'm at I don't gotta plea I don't gotta impress you I'm not eating that stuff I don't care if you just bought it but there are my point is that there are things you don't necessarily want to eat in the natural, and there are things in the Word of God that you need. Now, all those things you don't necessarily need, but the parts in them, you've got to find some way to get the same nutrients in some form you like. Naturally, and it's the same thing spiritually. We need the whole counsel of the Word of God, otherwise you're going to be lopsided. You may have, you know, imagine you've been working out just one side of your body or just one arm, you're going to look weird if you got, you know... Huge biceps and huge legs on one side, but the other side is just anemic. That's going to be bad. Well, some Christians are just looking at one thing all the time, and we need the whole counsel of the Word of God. But, to say all that to say, we're on a series called Don't Judge. <laughs> and this is not, if somebody saw the title of that, you know, they'd be, a lot of people are going to be like, well, it's not something I need to hear or I want to hear. But I, I'm telling you, I, as I got into this, when I was looking at, at doing this, I was and am excited about it because there's so much here on the surface. Uh, I don't want to compare this type of stuff to eating like stew or any of the things I didn't like. I was using that. Generally speaking, there are things that maybe we're not drawn to. But the Word of God is not like that. We may, our flesh may go, I don't want to hear certain things, but there are exactly some of those things that will make us completely free in areas we didn't realize we were bound by. 
They may not look, you may think, I just need more of this, but God says, you really need this. And this under the, it may, you may think it's this area, but under the, the, the surface, this is actually affecting over here, and you wouldn't know it by looking at the surface. You don't realize that this is actually a problem over here. And so we've been getting into this, and it, it, the Word of God is good, and uh, I believe God's going to bring us up even further in this area. It's Luke 6.37. All that was introduction. Luke 6.37. It says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first part of that says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Don't judge. Don't judge. Luke 6, 39, in the New, or in the New King James Version, we'll read that first. It says, he spoke a parable to them, Jesus. It says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. We're going to read this from the New Living Translation, same verses, Luke 6, 39. It says, then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, this other verse that we've read every time, a parallel um, translation, or parallel uh, account. Let's just skip, actually, let's just read this in the, the Passion Translation, just for the sake of time. Verse 1. It says, refuse to be a critic, full of bias toward others, and judgment will not be passed on you. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you are wrong? When you're guilty of even more, you're being hip hypercritical and a hypocrite. First acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. Now look, at this is harsh language. I mean, it doesn't matter really what translation you, you or you know, version you read it in. These verses in Luke and Matthew, this is Jesus. Jesus is love, isn't he? And everything he did was in love. And here he's talking generally. And he's talking about, he's speaking in a parable and, and giving an account. He's very strong about this, though, isn't he? I mean, it's not 
Like, Jesus, what are you trying to say? I can't tell. He, it comes right out boldly. Well, why would Jesus be so strong about it? He's strong because it's serious, and it evidently has very negative consequences if we don't do what he's saying. He doesn't, Jesus never said any words just to say them. He didn't speak just to hear himself talking. And he wasn't harsh if he didn't need to be. He was soft when he needed to be. He was hard when he needed to be. Some people say, well, why was he so hard to the Pharisees and them? Because that's the only thing that had a chance of cracking through the religious shell that, was, that they had. They're not going to listen to soft. Oh, you're not doing everything right, but you'll be okay. No, that will roll right off them. The only thing that had a chance of cracking through it was for him to hit it straight on and call them out. Now, they still had a choice. A lot of them didn't change, but there were some teachers of the law that did, that believed on him. But these are, these are strong words in telling us, I like what it says uh, in verse 1 here in the Passion Translation, 7-1, it says, Refuse to be a critic full of bias toward others. And judgment will be not passed on you. Refuse to be a critic. Refuse to be a critic. Romans 2, verse 1. I want to read a few verses of Scripture here, and then we'll get into what we have for today. But uh, touching on some of the things we've, uh, on some of these verses that we have touched on previously, but just to set a foundation. Romans 2, verse 1 says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. In the Passion Translation, it says, No matter who you are, or, or no matter, yeah, no matter who you are, before you judge the wickedness of others, you had better remember this. You are also without excuse, for you too are guilty of the same kinds of things. When you judge others and then do the same things they do, you condemn yourself. So that's saying, you know, you, if you're pointing the finger at somebody else, you're actually guilty of the same things. You say, well, I didn't do exactly the same things. Generally, we're guilty of all the same things that we would tend to point fingers at other people. And that's what he's saying. You're, you are guilty of the same kind of things that, and he's talking generally, and it's true of, of everybody, we're guilty of the same kind of things that we condemn others with. Look at Romans 3.21, just a, uh, another chapter down. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you, but we'll, we'll uh, read some of these and then get to where we, we are going for today. Uh, Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. Now stop right there. It says, you know, this is all Romans' you know, progression as he's going through this. In, in chapter 2, he's saying, you know, who are you who are judging other people? Now he's saying in, in chapter 3, there is a righteousness that's apart from anything that you can accomplish, anything that you can do. That's what he's referring to in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. What's he saying? There is a righteousness that you only acquire. What's righteousness? It's being right. It's right standing with God. 
When you see justification, which um, it, I believe it says here, it says justified. When you see justified, that means acquitted. That means declared righteous. So when you see righteousness, it means you're justified. When, when a judge acquits somebody, it means they're declared righteous. They're absolved, right? That's what it means. So righteousness is that state of no guilt. Just being justified is being declared righteous, which is the act of you're not guilty of anything. So it's saying there is a righteousness that is apart from anything you can do. That righteousness or that right standing or that being acquitted is because of your belief on what Jesus did, not on what you do. Okay? And that's what he's referring to. He says, there is a righteousness of God, verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It's, this righteousness is imparted through the new birth. We call it being born again. These are all biblical terms, but sometimes people, you know, just use Christian, Christianese, what I would say. They're, they're right, but people, other people have no clue what you're talking about if you try to use them. And they think, what, what are they saying? What is saved and being born again? Well, those are all biblical terms. Uh, born again is, you know, in, in John 3, being saved is used throughout the Bible. But what does it mean? It means that you've accepted Jesus, His payment for the world. You've said, yeah, I believe it. He's paid for my sins. I get, let me get in on that. I believe it. I believe He did that for me, and I believe there's nothing I can do to earn it. I believe it's only on Him that I'm declared righteous, so I believe Him. That's called being born again. Spiritually, obviously, your physical body isn't changed. But your spirit is made new. Being saved, saved from what? Saved from all the death that you deserved just walking in the way of the world. So these are terms we use, but here it's saying what that is, is you have been acquitted. You've been declared righteous. You can stand in the very presence of God without any sense of inferiority, not because of you, but because of Jesus. Because you believed on him. Somebody could say, but you didn't do X, Y, and Z. That's not why I'm standing here. It's because of what he did, and he paid for it. You know, you say, I didn't pay for it. I didn't do anything. I, I didn't do enough. No, but he paid for it. So, yeah, but you didn't do so-and-so. I didn't make the rules. Talk to God. Yeah, but you're this and this and that. He said, I'm righteous. Yeah, but you did this. You don't deserve it. He said, I'm acquitted. And he's the highest judge in the universe. Who's gonna, who are you going to appeal your case to? He's right. So there is a righteousness. There is a right standing that's above anything you do. Now, a different thing. We're not talking about what you do and don't do. It is, you should live holy. You should do that. And there's a reason for that. You don't want to give place to the enemy to get a hook in your flesh. But that doesn't earn you anything with God. In other words, you can't stand up and say, well, I did this and this and this, therefore God accept me. Are you kidding me? That, that is nothing compared to the righteousness of God. That's perfection. But that's what he's saying here. So let's read verse 22 and then go into verse 23. 23. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ or Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What we just said there. Everybody. You, you, don't, you don't meet the standard of perfection. Sorry. Thanks for playing. Yeah, but I'm now. Thanks for playing. 
you don't even, you might as well stop right there. You don't meet this standard in and of yourself. It says, being justified freely, being acquitted freely, being declared righteous freely by His grace. We talked about this in a whole series. It's by His grace through believing. See, He did it, but we believe it. That's how it becomes uh, true in our life. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Through what He did. Not through what I did, through what He did. I just, I just believed that He paid the price and that it was for me and I can receive it. So then I, or anybody that believes on Him, is declared righteous. Verse 25, Whom God set forth as the propitiation, the payment by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we, in the world, people in the world, have fallen short of the glory of God, need a Savior, I don't care who it is, God through Jesus has provided a way to be righteous, not religion earning, trying to earn it. See, religion tries to make a way to God. I have to do such and such, and if I do this, then I'll be, be accepted to God. That is religion, that's man-made. Those are men's ideas. And like we were talking about last, last week, based on what people think, based on their idea of good or bad, not on God's standard. Men come up with all these ideas. Well, you need to do this and this and this to please, and they say it's God, but it's not God, because what we're reading is the Word of God. God gave His Son so that there's a way for us to come to Him, not based on us, but based on Him. Our part is receiving what He did. Now, there is an enemy, Satan, that hates God. He hates mankind. He's a wicked, evil, despicable being, miserable being. He hates God and everything he stands for. He hates his creation. He hates individuals. And he especially hates Christians. Because they have accepted what Jesus did. So Satan, is ad Satan literally means adversary. He is against you. He's against humanity. He does his best to deceive and to keep people from coming to this truth, the saving knowledge of God, of Jesus. And then... If somebody does believe on Jesus, then he's going to do everything to try to make you ineffective, cripple you. Fine. Didn't keep you out of the family of God. So now the next plan of attack is do everything to separate you from God, to make you completely ineffective, to get you by, to buy lies that uh, cripple your uh, witness for God, cripple your ability to walk for God, cripple your ability to do anything for God. And that's, that's what he does. 
So you have doctrines that will lie about God. You have doctrines that will lie about His Word, will tell you false ways of trying to communicate or trying to relate to Him. And they, they have their, um, their origin with the deceiver, the father of lies, Satan. And men will think they're so smart because they've gotten certain things figured out and Satan will speak lies and twist scripture and get people to buy anything but the truth. Because if he can get you going around in circles on some tangent, you're going to go through life thinking you're doing something for God and you're actually on the sideline. That's just fine. That's a strategy. Can't keep you out of the game. Okay, you're in the game. I'll keep you sidelined. You get in the game, I'll try to knock you out as fast as possible. What's he trying to get after? He's trying to get, at, he's after the knowledge of the Word and the working of the Spirit in your life because the more you walk according to God's truth, the stronger you are and unassailable you are. If you, if you just walk according to what God said and refuse to be moved off it, you cannot be stopped. And he knows that. So what we believe is that you have the Spirit of God as a Christian, you not only uh, are in the family of God, you actually have the Spirit of the living God dwelling on the inside of you. I don't think we understand what that means. I mean, it, it, that means the Spirit of God's dwelling in us, here, now. The most powerful being in the universe is within us. Well, what problem or what thing could come against you that he can't overcome? There is no answer. There is nothing can overcome him. But if you don't believe it, if you don't walk in it, he'll trap you. He'll keep, Satan can keep you ineffective even though you have an arsenal is an understatement on the inside of you. So one of his weapons to trip you up is to get you to start focusing on other people instead of you. And he knows. He'll try to make it the other person's problem, but what he's really trying to do, yeah, you may cause the other person some grief, but you're going to cause yourself all kinds of grief. Because what we just read is, you start being critical of them, it's like pointing a gun at your head. And when you start measuring somebody else and start being critical, he... That opens the door for Satan to come and be critical of you. And even though you know this, that you are justified only through the blood of Jesus and only because of what he's done and the fact that reason you're declared righteous is because what he's done, you can shout about it, you can believe it, but as soon as you point the gun at somebody else, you just made it about the law and made it about your ability to be right in your own self. And Satan will take that and he'll throw it right back at you. You try to stand on this, but while you're pointing the gun at somebody else, opens the door for him to shoot at you and weakens your faith. You think you're shooting at the other person. But you're unloading on yourself. The more rounds you fire at them, that's the more rounds you're firing at yourself. We open the door. And Satan, he's wicked. The case could be made that anybody that would attack God is stupid. That would, that would go and try to take God out. But he is not a stupid being. And he's crafty. 
and he tries to ensnare people subtly. He, if he can't get you head on, well, why don't you look over there at what they're doing, and you're like, yeah, what are they doing? And he knows he's getting a hook in you. He's trying to weaken you. Look at uh, Revelation 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. Now, guys, this is not fairy tale. This is not fiction. I know we have so much in the area. I mean, it's, it's been around for a long time, but, um, you know, in, the, in, in literature and and myth and everything, but you have so much that is put in front of us that is fiction and fairy tale, and we see visuals like never before. You know, that's what movies are. They're just fairy tales that have been acted out and generated by computers and whatever, and images that uh, people have, you know, thrown all kinds of stuff that uh, the Bible says into that category. Well, that's, what, that's somebody's idea, and it's just in that same category. No, this is real. This is reality. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. This is what he does. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you dwell in them, you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now I want you to go back to verse 10. It says, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God, day and night, has been cast down. Now, Satan is called the accuser. Can you go back to the previous verse? Verse 9. He is a deceiver, and he is an accuser. And he will come and accuse other people to you. He will accuse God to you. There may be something we'll get into more, but I'm going to touch on it here. But he will accuse. He, he accuses. He's constantly going. Notice it says, who deceives the whole world. He, he's a deceiver. You go to the next one. For the accuser of our brethren. The accuser of our brethren. 
Go to the next verse. Who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Satan is an accuser. And when you hear accused, accusing thoughts, when you uh, have accusing arguments, when you have things that are, are trying to cast doubt and um, bring uh, accusations against other people, that is devilish. Now, not talking about something, somebody, something, somebody has done, it's clear, following the law, there, there is a place for all those things. When I'm saying the law, I mean the laws of the land, somebody did something, there is evidence. I'm not saying, no, you don't go to the police, no, you let everybody do anything. No, no we're not talking about that. What, I'm talk, what we want to focus on is the, the thoughts that will come to you, come to me, trying to that, that come and assault character, plant thoughts, plant doubts, plant um, ideas about motives about other people, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your child, whether it's your brother, your sister, your parent, whether it's your employer, whether it's your co-worker, uh, anybody, your pastor, your fellow congregation members, Satan is in the business of bringing thoughts and saying, this is what they mean by that. I bet you they're thinking this. I bet you they don't even know about this. Why did they say that? I bet you they have a motive here. Why would they do this? Why did they do that? What are they doing here? Are they really on my side? Are they thinking that? Are they favoring that person? Are they cheating on me? Are they thinking thoughts? Are they looking at this? Are, do they really like me? I don't know why, that, why did they say that? Do they really love me anymore? Are they looking at this person? Accusing, accusing, accusing. Which leads, I mean, if you're accusing somebody, judgment is right there. Well, why are they doing that? I wouldn't do that. Judge. If I were in their shoes, I would, you just judge them. What did you just say? They're not fit. They're not doing such and such. I think they should do that. Well, a better wife would. Why did my husband do such and such like? Those are all, it's, it's accusing. Why? They didn't do this. Are they supposed to do that? Well, I like them doing that. Think about it. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't they pick this up? They're supposed to pick it up. Why didn't they clean this up? Maybe you should clean it up. No, I like them cleaning it up. See? It's about them. Is this their responsibility? I mean, what if you just did it? Is that bad? No, but they, don't, they just did it because they're selfish and just want to sit down. Well, do you want to sit down? Why aren't you doing it? But, but that, these thoughts, it's, it's satanic. I know that's a strong word, but it's motivated by the devil will come. And what does it say? He's accusing. He's accusing. He's bringing thoughts about the other person. What, what are they doing? Why did they mean? What did my, they mean by that? Oh, I bet you they don't do anything. I bet you they're just not even putting any time there. I just think, well, why didn't they, what did they do with that deal? Or why didn't they do that? Why didn't they talk to that person? Whatever. Accusing. And this is what Satan does. And we need to understand that when we are yielding to him, in these areas, we're opening the door in that relationship to, 
for it to deteriorate because we're believing something that maybe isn't true, not proven. We're yielding to him to destroy a relationship. And when we start pointing the finger, we're also opening the door for Satan to attack us and to bring our confidence down. Because now we've just taken ourselves out of the realm of walking in the righteousness of God and put it to where you're judged on everything you do. Now, again, you have to say these things because people would take these things and run, you know, way off on one end. And we can't balance everything the whole time, otherwise we don't, we don't get in the, uh, to the point that we need to make today. But I will just insert this here. We're not saying that somebody could not do something wrong and they need to be taken care of or they, 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 we need to go through the proper channels and deal with it or confrontation, you know, if it needs to be confronted. We're not saying there isn't sin. We're not saying there isn't a wrong way to handle business deals or anything like that. We're talking about when you don't have any proof. You don't know. But there's thoughts that are like, well, I wonder, why are they and accusing? We're not talking about dealing with reality, okay? Being a Christian doesn't mean you just put your head in the sand and deal with it, and you're a doormat, and whatever happens, well, you've got to put up with it because you're a Christian. No, that's another sermon. But we are saying that Satan will try to get you to mistrust somebody that is totally trustworthy. If he can drive a wedge between you, and who you're supposed to be hooked up with, he will. What does that do? It weakens the body of Christ. Weakens the marriage. Weakens the family. Gets you separated. And it starts with thoughts. And he's good at it. I, again, I'm not putting up the devil. But you can't underestimate who, your, your enemy either. Don't be foolish. We need to know what the Word of God says, and we need to hold to that and understand that you have somebody. See, it, it's, so, it's gratifying to the flesh. Let's be honest. Your flesh wants to point fingers at other people. The flesh is unrenewed. No matter how long you've been born again, your flesh isn't any renewed, more renewed. You have to keep your flesh under. Your flesh likes to point the finger at other people. Why? Because it's not that magnif the, the magnifying lens is not on me then. You ever been under pressure? And it's tempting to start talking about some other situation that somebody else is doing. You're under pressure. You're feeling, you know, maybe you're feeling like you're not measuring up somewhere or whatever. And then instead of dealing with that and bringing it to God and dealing with it in the right way, you start bad-mouthing what some, why aren't they doing this and that? Why? Because you, it just, you don't have to deal with what you're dealing with. And Satan will help you. He'll bring the thoughts. And what, you know what? Instead of dealing with this in a real way, let's just go over here and go in circles for five hours talking about this other person, which won't do us any good. And when we get out, we don't, we're just yielding to the thoughts. He'll bring a thought, yield to that. Spew it out our mouth. Yield another thought, spew it out our mouth. And he is painting a picture of something that is probably fabrication most of life to drive a wedge and to get you dealing with this other person, so now you don't like anything about them, and then when you get done with that, you still have to deal with your problem. And you're weak, and now all the time you've been hammering the other person, now you're going to go back and go, oh, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy, and that, you know, regardless of what I've done, you know, I, you can bring me out. And it's not because God changed, but it's dry. And it's, there's no faith. Because you just spent the last time 
feeding on somebody else and yielding to every thought that came into your head. Boom, 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 boom. They're this, 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 and this. And now you try to go to the throne of God, and it's all, it's all available. But grace works by grace through what? Faith. Your faith is going to be hindered when you're beating up somebody else. When you step in to, to say, God, I receive your grace. Well, what about their person? And so you thought you were just taking distraction, beating them up, but you've been beating yourself up for all this time. And now you're coming back and you need help. You need strength. You need to be able to go through and trust the re and receive the power of God. And not because God moved. We're not talking about works. You're not confident. Your faith has been damaged. And what you thought was an attack on them actually hindered your faith and your walk, and now you have to do something before you can go on. Not because God moved. God's the same way. But that grace and that, that uh, yielding to the Spirit of God, the same way we want to be uh, the mercy and the grace of God that we need that we need to have when we're going through something, we just cut off from another person. It's quiet. But we've all been there. I don't have to have you show your hands. We've all been there. But this is where the rubber meets the road in life. I mean, Satan, he's playing for keeps. He's not playing church. If he can take you out, take your marriage out, take your family out, take your job out, he will. Leave you in a mess on the side of the road, in an alley somewhere. How do you think people, what did they yield to? I'm not judging anybody. What did people yield to to get to that point? I know this, is, I can, this can be heavy, but we're dealing with stuff. God, will, he, he will identify tools of the enemy and rip it out so that it cannot harm us anymore. If we don't yield to it. People that had a great marriage, had a great family, didn't know what they were dealing with, started accusing their spouse and started yielding to thoughts of they're not doing this, they're not doing that, why don't they do this, and accusing, and started letting that come out of their mouth, and stuff starts fracturing and ripping apart, and you don't do this and you don't do that pretty soon, the whole world, they're not doing anything, everybody is wrong. Somebody said it like this, if nobody ever measures up, maybe it's time to check your yardstick. <laughs> maybe the problem isn't everybody else. But Satan knows this. We need to understand when you're having a thought against somebody else, you're not, it's not necessarily your thought. You've got to ask yourself, where did that come from? And do you want to keep yielding to the source of those thoughts? Because it has a crippling effect. Let's read uh, in Genesis. I want to put up Genesis. Glory to God. God is helping us. You guys prayed with me. You didn't go home on me now, did you? I know you're still sitting there, but don't. Stay with me. Genesis 2, verse 15. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, God is good and He will help us. He will help us. There's a way to walk and not to, to just 
Satan tries to attack and you just deflect it. He's trying to get a hook in your flesh. He's trying to get a hook. Why? So he can drag you over there and you just deflect. No, I'm not going to play that. Nope, I'm not playing that game. Nope, I won't yield. Oh, your flesh wants to yield. Your flesh wants to play that game, but you know that it's just trying to destroy you and you're not going to do it. You stay in what God has told you to do, and now you're still bold. You, you deflected the attack, and you're still staying on the side of grace. You can look, look at somebody and say, well, yeah, they may not be doing everything right, but that's not, and if it's not part of you, it's not something you need to deal with. I'm not talking about dealing with situations where you need to, but you know what? I know, I know also I'm going to be on their side. I'm going to say they're doing the best they can and sidestep that, and you can still then go boldly. You're giving them grace, and guess what? When you go to God, you can just be like, God, I just thank you for the blood of Jesus. I wouldn't be where I would be. I am now if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. I'm not judging them. And you can keep your head up and strong and Satan has nothing on you. Genesis 3 verse, or Genesis 2 verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you shall eat of it you shall surely die. Now this is where God is telling Adam, before Eve is formed, you, you, he's given him instructions. Look, you can eat of all these trees. Don't touch this one. Now, is God just setting that up because he's just a mean God and just, oh, I just want to see if you can do it? No. He is setting stipulation for, God, for Adam's own good and says, don't touch this one. Now, Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. This is Satan which the Lord God has had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. No, look what just happened. Eve knows what God said. Adam evidently has communicated with, communicated with her, and she knows what God said and knows what they're supposed to do. In verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, you shall not, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows in, that day, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see the accusation here? He is, now we may go into this more later, he is accusing God. He is saying, oh no, he knows God, God's holding out on you. Eve has no reason to, to distrust God. And Satan brings a lie and an accusation she could have refuted. She, goes, she could have said no, and I'm not throwing stones at Eve, but she could have said no, no, this is what God said, no. I trust my husband, this is what he said, no, I'm not, I'm not listening to you, away with you. But she listened, and he said, you will not surely die. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is he saying? 
God is holding out. God knows you're not going to die. It's not really you're going to die. God has a different motive for doing this. And he will do this, Satan will do this exact same thing that he's doing here with Eve with other people to you and me. They are saying something to you that is with no ill intent. They're answering, answering you truthfully. There is nothing else going on. And Satan will come and say, that's not what they really mean. They say that. But what they really mean is this. And he will lie to you, bring you a picture of them saying and doing something else and accusing them. And if you buy it, you're playing right into his hand. This is, this is an early play. This is at the beginning of this creation. And Satan came, and he, he has not changed. He will use this over and over. And you say, well, I would have recognized this. Eve did not recognize it. He will bring thoughts and pictures and images and all feelings that feel real. They feel true. But they're lies. They're accusations. And his goal is to destroy. His goal is to create a rift when there's, nothing, there's no drama here. Before he showed up. There's nothing, there's nothing going on here. Adam and Eve are walking with God and everything is fine. You know, Satan likes drama. All, and all, if always something is going wrong or up or whatever, oh, this is going on, this is going on, and everything's fine, and out of nothing, he lies and Eve listens, and now she is rebelling against God who loves her. There's nothing, he has not, God hasn't done anything. God didn't do, didn't, is not ill-intended, has every intention for good. Adam listens to her, and they get thrown out of the garden and trespass against God because a liar and accuser convinced them God was doing something that he was not. And this is how he works and tries to get us to point at somebody else. What are they doing? Why are they doing that? What is that? What, what about this and that? And get us to accuse and get our attention off so that what? So he can destroy can't help himself. But the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. Amen. Amen. We, when those things come up, we can sidestep and choose not to fall into the trap, not to listen to the accusations, not to follow after past that, I mean, we have no proof. There's nothing going on. It's just deception. Again, we're not talking about if situations need to be dealt with at once, but this is how things happen to keep us in bondage going over and over in our head. What if? What about this? What a, and 
it's torture. It's torment. But oh, God wants us to be free. Let me read you one more thing in closing. I'll just leave you with this. Can you put up 1 Corinthians 13? Praise you, God. 1 Corinthians 13. We're just going to read through this, but I just wanted to focus on just a couple things. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and, consi- and, con- and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter and never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, never gives up. But that part in verse 7, love is a safe place of shelter, never stops believing the best of others. You know a way to combat when you have an accusation? Somebody, Satan brings an accusation or there's an accusation against somebody else. If you will stay on love's side, I'm not saying being a doormat. The scripture does not teach us just putting up with everything. But if we'll stay on the side, well what? The same way you would want somebody to look at your intentions. Well, but they have that look on their face. Well, maybe they have indigestion or... You know, they shouldn't have eaten that last slice of pizza. Maybe they're dealing with something else at home. Ah, they didn't really mean it like that. They're probably just thinking something else. I'm not saying making excuses for people, but if you'll take the perspective, if we can look at how God's viewing it and stay on His side and walk according to what He said, say, well, you know, think of... Well, what would believing the best do? Well, I don't know if they're thinking that. They're probably just thinking this. They probably don't mean anything by that comment. They're probably just having a bad day and said something they didn't mean, just like you did three days ago. That can deflect things. Again, if there's a problem we have to deal with, then we deal with it. But there's so many problems that don't exist, and then they become a problem out of nothing. Going down a path. And that keeps us free, and it keeps us secure, and we stay on God's side, and we stay bold. We don't let Satan get a hook in us, and we deflect his traps. Praise God.